Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can come before you this morning in worship of you. And we thank you that we can worship you by hearing your voice. That in the scriptures before us, you do speak and you tell us the way of salvation and you tell us how to please you as your children. Lord, we pray that you may help me this morning to speak words of truth, keep error far from my lips, and may I be able to explain your word clearly this morning so that the people are encouraged and built up in the faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what does it mean to be something? What does it mean to be something? Often, if you claim to be something in particular, it's because you have had something done to you or it's what you do with your life. And so to be the Prime Minister means that you have had to do a a large amount of things to get to that position in office. And then to be the Prime Minister means you have to actually do something. Uh, Well, some people think with politicians that uh, they don't do much once they get into office. But uh, if you are a politician, if you're the Prime Minister, you're expected to do something. And if you don't do certain things, then people uh, get quite angry and, uh, and you can actually be taken out of office. And my son at the moment, he is said to be a toddler, and that is because he does something in particular, which is toddle around. And my daughter, we call her a baby because she does the usual baby things. She eats, sleeps, cries, and pretty much nothing in between. She does the baby things. But what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's what I want to look at this morning. What does it mean to be a Christian? And I've got three main points about what a Christian is. And if you've got the bulletin there, you can see that uh, listed there on the back page. Uh, My three main points there this morning. And my first main point is that a Christian is circumcised spiritually. A Christian is circumcised spiritually. Circumcision is an old tradition. And we just read from the Old Testament... Uh, a document going back thousands of years where we see Abraham having to circumcise himself at 99 years of age and all his uh, family, all the males in his household are circumcised. It is an old thing to be circumcised physically, to be a Jew and a male. Pretty much, if you're a good Jew and a male, then you would be circumcised. But is that what Christians are supposed to do? Are they supposed to be circumcised as well? Are they supposed to be circumcised physically? Well, no. The New Testament quite clearly speaks against forcing Christians to be circumcised physically. Some people in the New Testament claim that you cannot be a Christian, you cannot be saved if you are not circumcised, if you do not obey the traditions handed down uh, by Moses. And the Apostle Paul particularly gets stuck into those people and says, no, it's not true. Circumcision, physical circumcision, does not save you. But Christians are supposed to be circumcised. We're looking at a text this morning where it does speak about Christians being circumcised. I'm wanting to concentrate on just two verses from the Bible readings that we had this morning, and that's those two verses verses in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Now there in your sheet, uh, the printed text there, in the bulletin there, verse 11 and 12 of Colossians chapter 2 
And in verse 11, we see that Christians are supposed to be circumcised. It says there in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised. Christians are supposed to be circumcised. But is it the physical circumcision? No, it's not. I just said before that clearly the Apostle Paul, who wrote Colossians, uh, elsewhere speaks strongly against physical circumcision being required of Christians. But here he's saying, you were also circumcised. He's assuming that the Christians in Colossae are circumcised. So what does he mean? Well, he means a spiritual circumcision. And what does a spiritual circumcision entail? Well, he describes it there in verse 11. If we continue reading the rest of that verse, it says, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Spiritual circumcision is the cutting off of the sinful nature. Literally, it says uh, uh, a circumcision of the body of flesh. The body of flesh is taken off. And so we have the sinful nature that we have inside us removed. He actually explains it in another way. In the putting off of the sinful nature, it's like stripping uh, the sinful nature off, cutting it completely off. What does it mean to have your sinful nature removed, though? To be circumcised spiritually? Well, it means to get rid of sin. How do you get rid of sin? Well... You get rid of, if you're spiritually circumcised, you get rid of the the sin that you do. As a Christian, you sin less and less. You don't get it completely removed straight away, but you look forward to a day when you'll be in heaven and you will sin no more. It will be impossible for you to sin in heaven because you will be have that sinful nature completely cut off and you will no longer sin. The other part of being spiritually circumcised, having that sinful nature removed, is that you will no longer have the guilt for that sin. One of the big problems of being sinners is we feel remorse. We feel guilt over what we've done. We're ashamed of what we do. And we try to hide it. And if it comes out, we feel very guilty that people know about our sin. But if we are spiritually circumcised, that shame is removed. That is taken away. The guilt is not there any longer. And also, if the sinful nature is removed, we also will not experience the punishment for our sin. The Bible speaks quite clearly that those who sin must be punished. And we see that even in our own society. When someone does the wrong thing, if someone throws a brick through your window, we expect punishment. If someone kills a family member, you expect punishment to happen. And it's the same with God and his law. He is a just God and he will punish people when they sin. But if you're circumcised spiritually and the sinful nature is removed, then you are no longer punished for your sin. Your sinful nature goes and so does the guilt and the punishment are removed from you. So how can this happen? How can spiritual circumcision come about? Well, the text tells us particularly that it's not done by you. What does it say? Verse 11, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men. You cannot circumcise yourself. 
spiritually. You cannot remove that sinful nature. It, and it cannot be done by anyone else around you. It is not done by the hands of men. That means you can't do it for your children. It means the children can't do it for their parents. It means no one, your friends can't help you out in removing your sinful nature. And you can't help yourself because you are a human as well. You cannot remove your sinful nature. So how does it happen? Well, the text tells us, doesn't it? In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Who circumcises your sinful nature? Jesus Christ. He is the one who removes your sinfulness. And how does he do that? Well, it's by his death at the cross. At the cross, Jesus was not dying a normal death. He was dying a death for those who are his people. And he was removing, cutting, circumcising the sin from your shoulders and taking it over and having it upon his shoulders. At the cross we describe a great exchange where Jesus and all his righteousness is put over to your account and where your sinfulness is cut off and removed and put on Jesus' shoulders so that he becomes sin for you and the guilt that you have about your sins is removed to him. The punishment that you deserve for your sin is put over to his account. That punishment of eternity in hell is taken and put to his shoulders and there on the cross he bears that sin for you. He becomes the sin bearer. And so that circumcision happens to you by Jesus and particularly by his death at the cross. So, to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised spiritually and it needs to be done by Christ. You need to have Christ remove that sinful nature. But is there anything you need to do? Is there anything you need to do? Jesus is the one who circumcises you. How do you have that happen to you? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning is that a Christian repents and believes. A Christian is spiritually circumcised, but a Christian is also someone who is repentant and a believer. And this is told to us again and again in the Scriptures, that a Christian repents of their sin and believes. So firstly, what is repentance then? If repentance is required to be a Christian, what is repentance? Well, when you repent of something, you're sorry about it, aren't you? You acknowledge that you've done the wrong thing and you have remorse that you've done the wrong thing. And that makes sense. If you are to be circumcised spiritually, to have your sin cut off and taken and put on Jesus' shoulders, then you must have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And you must have to acknowledge that you're sorry about your sin, otherwise you wouldn't want it cut off. You would want to keep it and not have it put over to Jesus' shoulders instead of your shoulders. So repentance, of course, has to involve an acknowledgement of sin. You can't be repentant and say, I'm not a sinner. And it has to be that you're sorry about that sin. If you want it removed, then you can't be happy to have it. But repentance isn't just sorrow for sin. It's also a turning from sin. 
If you are repentant for your sin, you won't want to sin again. And that makes sense if we look at the image of circumcision, of that sinful nature being removed as part of a Christian, then you shouldn't want to sin any longer. If you want your sinful nature cut off and removed, then you won't be wanting to sin again and again because you want it removed. And so to be repentant means you need to acknowledge your sin, be sorry about your sin, and not want to sin anymore. You want to turn from your life of sin and now live a life of righteousness instead. So repentance is required. What else is required? Well, belief is required. You have to believe. Again and again we hear in the New Testament you have to have faith. But what do you have to have faith in? You can have faith in lots of things. You can have faith that the chair you're sitting on is going to keep holding you up. You're believing in all kinds of things. You believe you're going to have lunch in a few hours. You believe lots of things. What are Christians required to believe? Well, it's there in the next verse. Verse 12. But I'll read from verse 11 again. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. What are you supposed to believe in if you're a Christian? You believe in the power of God. You believe that God is the powerful God he claims to be and that he does what he promises. And particularly, what is one of his promises? That if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you at the cross, then it is so. God makes it so. That if you believe that Jesus took your sin upon his shoulders, God's power says, yes, it is true. He promises that it is true. And you need to believe that it is so. That God has the power to do so and that he has done so. Your sinful nature has been cut off and put upon Jesus Christ. So that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You're supposed to repent of your sin and you're supposed to believe in the power of God that he took your sin and put it upon his shoulders, his son's shoulders. That's what's required of Christians, repentance and faith. Jesus does the cutting, but then you see in your own life repentance and faith in the power of God. So where does baptism fit in then? We've come this morning to witness baptism of four different people and Christianity is uh, often known to baptise people to do this strange ceremony and some people do it with just a bit of sprinkling but you'll see it even in a more strange way today where people go into a big tub of water with all their clothes on and uh, are put under the water once and come back up. It's very odd. What is baptism all about then? If a Christian is someone who is circumcised spiritually, has their sinful nature removed and is repentant and believe, and then that's what saves them. Why would they be baptised? Well, that brings me to my third main point, that I do assert there a Christian is baptised. A Christian is someone who is baptised. But unlike the other two points, 
that are made. Baptism is not required to be saved. What saves? Jesus saves in the cutting off of that sinful nature. And you see that in your life, that Jesus has done that when you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus' death for you. Baptism doesn't save, just as circumcision never saved in the Old Testament either. The sign that you were one of God's people in the Old Testament was circumcision. We read about Abraham and the covenant made with him there. And then we come to the New Testament where we see baptism is a sign that you are part of God's covenant. But circumcision in the Old Testament never saved anyone either. We see that Abraham believed God back in chapter 12 of Genesis. And then in chapter 17, then he receives circumcision. But he's already counted as righteous as one of God's people back in chapter 12. And so circumcision didn't save then, and baptism doesn't save now. And a clear example of someone who was not baptised and still went to heaven, and we know he's definitely in heaven, is the thief on the cross. And when Jesus is hanging there and two thieves are on him either side, and one of them rebukes the other thief for, uh, for basically cursing Jesus... And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a guy who's guaranteed you can meet in heaven if you're going there. And was he baptised? Did someone quickly come up with some water and throw it on him? No. But he's in paradise. An unbaptised person there in paradise. So baptism doesn't save. So why... Do people get baptised? Well, baptism is a symbol of what has already happened inside the believer. Symbolises a couple of things. First is that you've died, been buried and raised to life with Jesus Christ. And we see that in the text there in verse 12 where it alludes to the symbolism of baptism. Verse 12 it says, Having been buried with him, that's Jesus, in baptism and raised with him, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Faith is there and it's integral, but baptism shows what has already happened. You have been baptised by Jesus Christ already, internally. You have died with Jesus at the cross, been buried with Jesus in the tomb, and raised to life with Jesus now. Christians right here, right now, have eternal life. They're just waiting for the final stage to be completed when they go to heaven. And that is symbolised in baptism. You go down into a watery grave, a hostile environment to stay in for any length of time, and then you come back up to new life. And that is there, symbolised in the baptism. And the other thing the baptism symbolises is what has already happened inside, that you've been washed, that your sins, all the dirt and filth inside you, has been washed away as Jesus cuts it off with his spiritual circumcision that he does. And so that is shown as you go down into water and are completely immersed there, washed by Jesus' death. So those being baptised today already have eternal life. They're not receiving eternal life. They're not coming up here this morning and they will be going in as non-Christians and coming out Christians. They're already Christians. 
They are wanting instead to be obedient to God's command to be baptised, to show people what they have already experienced in their own lives. Some Christians don't get baptised and they seem to leave it and they let it lag and they don't follow through on getting baptised. But that shouldn't happen. These people today are wanting to obey God's command. God gives a command, be baptised. And it then makes sense that they should be baptised because these people are meant to be spiritually circumcised. They're meant to no longer be doing the wrong thing and what they want. They're now wanting to do what God wants. And what does God want them to do? Well, there's lots of things God wants them to do. Uh, love the people around them instead of hating them. Be, uh, be kind and gracious. Uh, don't steal. Don't murder. Don't do the things you used to do. But included in that is doing what God commands in baptism, in being baptised. And so a Christian is baptised. To be an unbaptised Christian is someone that you've uh, got to have questions about. Why are they not wanting to submit to Christ's command and be obedient and be baptised? So this morning we've seen three things about a Christian. One is they're spiritually circumcised. Second thing is they're repentant and Faithful, They believe in Jesus' death for themselves. And the third thing is, they are baptised, not to be saved, but because they are saved. Now, if you claim to be a Christian and you're here this morning, do you see evidence of those three things in your life? Do you see spiritual circumcision has happened in your life and particularly see it in repentance? Is sin something that you see gradually cut more and more out of your life, that you're remorseful for, that you're turning away from again and again and doing what God wants rather than what you want all the time? Is that what you see in your life or are you complacent about your sin? You consider yourself a Christian but you recognise that you'll keep sinning until you get to heaven and so you just sort of put up with it and wait till that point. Well, if that's you... I want you to carefully examine what you're doing and examine what the scriptures say to you. Because a Christian is a repentant person and a repentant person is someone who is always turning away from sin, not someone who's happy to turn part way and then stop. And if you're not repentant of your sin, then it's possible you've not been spiritually circumcised at all. And if you haven't been spiritually circumcised, then your sin still remains on you. That means your guilt remains, no matter how much you might try to deaden it. The warning signs of your conscience against you. And the punishment still remains in your future for your sin. If you claim to be a Christian and do not see repentance in your life and a gradual aligning yourself with God's word more and more, then I want you to consider whether you really are a Christian, whether you really are repentant, whether you really have been spiritually circumcised. And if you haven't, if you come to that conclusion that you haven't, then come to him in repentance. Come to him in faith. Believe right here, right now, that Jesus died for you. Ask for forgiveness from God so that your sin is removed, the guilt is taken away, and that punishment is upon Jesus' shoulders rather than yours.
Maybe you're here this morning and you've never claimed to be a Christian. Well, if that's you, I'm thrilled that you're here, as are the rest of the members of Des Moines Baptist Church. It's wonderful that you can come along and witness the baptism of your friend or family member as they're here this morning. But I want to speak to you now as well. Why don't you join those who are being baptised? Not in that I'm going to call you all forward and you're all going to get dunked up the front here, but join them now in having eternal life. Why don't you repent of your sin and believe that Jesus Christ died for you? Do you want rid of your sinful nature? Do you want to stop sinning? Or are you content being the selfish, ungodly person that you are? Do you want to be rid of the guilt that you have for your sin? Or are you happy having that guilt hanging over you? Are you happy with that knowledge that is deep within your heart that one day you will be punished for your sin? I encourage you this morning, don't let that be. Instead, come to Christ today. Join those being baptised by repenting of your sins and believing that Jesus died for you. Ask Jesus right here, right now, to circumcise your heart, to take away your sinful nature, the body of flesh, that if you're honest, you do not like. When you look in the mirror and you see your sinfulness, you do not like it. Ask Christ to remove it today. Because if you don't, I want to warn you with all love that one day your entire body will be cut off from God and his goodness. You can choose to have your body of sin cut off today or the alternative is, there's only one alternative, is that you are cut off from God for eternity. You can be have your sinful nature cut off today, put upon Christ who was then cut off at the cross from God and his goodness so that you could go free or you can be cut off from God and his goodness for eternity. Don't let that be. Instead, come to Christ in repentance and faith now. Join those people that are being baptised and become one in Christ with them today and have your sin and its guilt and its punishment removed right here, right now. Let us speak to our God now. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we recognise this morning that we are sinners and that we are ashamed of our sin. And we know that sinners are punished for what they've done against you and against those around them. Lord, it is so wonderful, though, that you have revealed that we can have the sin removed, not by our hands, not by the hands of others, but by the hands of Jesus Christ, that he can cut off our sinful nature, take away our sin, its guilt and its punishment so that we can go free. Lord, we pray for the Christians here this morning that they may continue in repentance and faith, believing that Jesus Christ is their Saviour and following his laws, even the laws of submission to being baptised. 
Lord, we do also pray this morning for anyone in this room who is not a Christian. We pray that they may be unsettled about their sinfulness. May you help them to understand how wrong they have been toward the people around them and particularly toward you. May they feel guilty, ashamed, and may they fear your just punishment toward them. May they not even be able to sleep. May they have no peace until they come to you in repentance and faith and have their sin removed and come with the other believers here this morning rejoicing together to eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.